go with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And welcome to Monday, Thanksgiving week, and trying to, I guess, kind of stuff it all in. Yeah, this, this is kind of a, uh, a, a turkey-like weekend when you have to stuff five days' worth of stuff into three days' worth of work. Thank you, Dirk Christensen. That's enough punishment for today. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's what I do. That's why. That's why you get the big. The one. lowest form of humor, as evidenced by Dirk Christians, well, the lowest form of life, delivering it. Wow! It is time for us to find out where's Susan today. So let's play it, and uh, we spin the dial and find out that Susan is where today. Well, I would love to gobble on the air with you. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, g- go ahead. Uh, <laughs> he didn't get it. I'm at the Nebraska State Irrigation Association and the Nebraska State Water Resource Association's annual meeting taking place uh, today and tomorrow in Kearney. Ah, So a great opportunity to learn more about one of Nebraska's most important resources that we all can't live without, and that's water. Well, that is uh, very, very important, and we've got, uh, I'm sure, lots of uh, lots of developments coming up there. This is the time of year when you got to be learning about your irrigation and improving it because you're using it every other time. Exactly. So a lot of folks from different uh, natural resource districts are here. Um, there's a big panel going on for the next hour and a half. And I love the, the sessions called Good Stuff Does Happen. Uh-huh. They're talking about some of the great things that are happening within the water industry uh, for Nebraska. So we'll get more on that as these panelists leave the session. I'll catch up with them and share along the details with you guys. Okay. Um, speaking of details, coming up at 1219, I have Tom Slight on the air with us. He is the president and CEO of the U.S. Agrarian Council, and he's talking about the recent export opportunities for U.S. farmers, and we here in Nebraska are seeing a boom for that as well. Coming up at 12.45, Jason's going to be talking high school football finals, and then at 1.17, Bryce will talk about, speaking of uh, opportunities for Nebraska farmers, the signing that went, agreement that went on with Belgian soybean processors. That's up at 1.17. All right. We'll look forward to all of that. And, uh, of course, uh, lots more developing in terms of uh, some things that do affect agriculture with that uh, pipeline decision. And Bob will have more on that in a minute. Thank you, Susan. You bet. Thank you. And we have over on the sports mic today, Brandon Bennett. Good old bullpen Bennett's in for Jason, who just left to go cover the Lopers at the Shatter and the Eagles. So that game will be tomorrow night on the river. But as Susan mentioned, high school tournament championship, class D1 style championship game currently underway. They're at halftime right now. East Butler has 22 points off of four South Loop turnovers. And so right now East Butler with the lead, but South Loop hopeful of coming back. And we'll talk about the week that was in Denver Bronco football. righty. I see lots of Denver uh, Denver colors out there. How, how, how do the Broncos figure to be doing? Here? Yeah, not well. Of course, as a lifelong Kansas City Chiefs fan, that doesn't really necessarily upset my apple cart, but since the Chiefs lost in overtime to the lowly Giants, wasn't a good day yesterday for anybody in the AFC West, especially the Chargers. Let's check in with business and Bob Brogan. Well, a big thing today, a blockbuster thing, was uh, a Nebraska commission has approved the Keystone XL alternative route. There will be lots said about that in the coming days. And so that's one of the things that we're watching. Also, an auto safety group is pushing for a Chrysler Pacifica recall. So those are a couple of things that we're watching. All of this and more coming up for you today on Midday. 
bringing Paul Perkins in here to give us a little ag weather, and he's just come in bragging about the resort temperatures that he just experienced. Very, very nice out there. Temperatures right now, many areas in the 50s. I know it's as warm as 59 at Lexington, 61 at Thedford, and we're up to 70 already in western Kansas at Colby. Very, very nice weather right now. And how are those winds doing behind that front? Not too bad. Uh, the Yeah, the gusty winds, uh, usually it's when they get those westerly winds in Wyoming, they do have these problems of some gusty winds. To the southwest of Cheyenne, they've had some 75-mile-an-hour wind gusts. And I know they've had sustained winds this morning at 50 miles per hour. So a steady wind of 50, and then you get these 75-mile-an-hour wind gusts right through those passes. It gets a little on the touchy side there. See, that's the kind of thing that makes a Wyoming <laughs> residence walk upright for a change. Uh, and uh, here is our Ag Weather with Paul, brought to you by Coolman Repair. Yes, uh, better walk upright or you're going to pay the consequences out there in Wyoming. Uh, dry air and a westerly downslope wind going to result in a quick rise in temperatures for today across our area. But we will see those temperatures start to stall this afternoon as cloud cover increases ahead of an approaching cold front right now near critical fire weather conditions place for central and southwest Nebraska, especially over the far southwest part of Nebraska into northeast Colorado where there is a red flag warning in fact. Tonight, we will see an Alberta clipper, a quick-moving area of low pressure from Alberta, Canada, quickly dive to the southeast. That will bring in more cloud cover, but maybe at best a few sprinkles across the area. Temperatures tomorrow behind that low, and a cold front going to be much cooler with some breezy north winds. A lot of locations about 20 to 25 degrees colder than what we saw for today for daytime highs tomorrow. But tomorrow going to be our coldest day of the next seven days. We start to warm up and rebound very nicely with the ridge of high pressure expanding east onto the plains for Wednesday through Friday. That'll return the dry and mild weather and give you some ideal travel conditions for Thanksgiving. That break, ridge breaks down just a little bit over the weekend, but temperatures still will be warmer than normal, even though they will be cooler than what we see for the end of the week here. In our long-term forecast, that likelihood remains for warmer-than-normal temperatures in Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. this weekend through the first three days of December. Pretty much an upper ridge of high pressure sending up across the southwestern U.S., going to keep it mild and dry. We will be warmer than normal. For reference, daytime highs in central Nebraska in late November and early December usually average in the low 40s with overnight lows mostly around 20. So as we get towards the end of the week here, enjoy these nice temperatures that are expected to be into the 60s. The weather pattern starts off quiet and then may be a bit more active in the later periods for the long term. Below normal precipitation, the forecast for this weekend and early next week in Nebraska and Kansas. Then a trend of above normal precipitation expected in the middle of next week through December 3rd. But if temperatures are going to be above normal, we're probably looking at better chances for rain than any kind of snow. Weather factors driving the markets include substantial rain for central Brazil and a slow finish to harvest in the eastern Midwest due to rain. Dry weather will prevail through the end of the week across the southern half of the U.S. Fast-moving cold fronts will deliver generally light precipitation across the northern U.S. Harvest in the eastern Midwest remains slow after they had another wet weekend with moderate to heavy rain. Drier conditions are expected this week to help out with harvest progress. The western Midwest was drier and warmer, so they progressed better and are in the final harvest stages. The southern plains will be warm and dry in the next week to 10 days. Winter wheat and pasture conditions bear some watching with a dry trend going into winter. 
thanks in parts to uh, La Nina starting to establish itself over the Pacific. The rain pattern more favorable in central Brazil for planting and developing soybeans. There was moderate to sometimes heavy rain in central and southeast Brazil over the weekend, and more is expected this week. West and northwest crop areas of central Argentina are turning drier and need to be watched as La Nina starts to become more established and may keep it drier there. Eastern areas of central Argentina expect moderate amounts of rain the next five days. And your ag weather, of course, brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. I was just reading here some of the, they, they put some very interesting historical stuff up on the uh, Central Nebraska weather page out of the uh, Hastings National Weather Service office. They say that out of the last four years, this uh, last year was the fourth year in a row that we didn't even get to 40 degrees during the course <laughs> of the day. That's all going to change this year. though. Yeah, definitely. And it looks like that uh, red flag warning has expanded. It now pretty much includes west-central portions of Nebraska, basically western Cherry County, down to around Ogallala, south of North Platte, a uh, little bit of southwest Lincoln County in this red flag warning, on over to about Imperial and Hayes Center. So, uh, be careful with any flame and actually any kind of open mm. flame discouraged today in that red flag warning and probably should be avoided in many other areas too. That roughly follows just about where the western and central time zones meet straight up and down through the state. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, definitely All so. Right. All right, when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. approves alternative Keystone XL route and removes last regulatory hurdle to the $8 billion oil pipeline project. I'm Shaley Peters with the midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. The Nebraska Public Service Commission's ruling is on the Nebraska route. TransCanada has proposed to complete the 8,1179-mile pipeline to deliver oil from Alberta, Canada to Texas Gulf Coast refineries. The proposed Keystone XL route would cross parts of Montana, South Dakota, and most of Nebraska to Steel City, Nebraska. A vote in favor of the company's proposed route through Nebraska would give a boost to the long-delayed project, which was rejected by President Barack Obama in 2015, citing concerns about carbon pollution. President Donald Trump revived it in March, approving a permit. The project has faced a barrage of criticism from environmental activists and some landowners for nearly a decade. A ruling against the company would cast renewed doubt on the proposal and could lead to another drawn-out legal fight. In other ag news, a new vaccine against the dreaded avian influenza virus has been developed by two Nebraska companies. Bruce Gorder has the details. Dr. Tim Miller is the chief science officer for Benchmark Biolabs out of Lincoln. Talks about this new vaccine. Well, this is a vaccine that we're utilizing two major technologies. One utilizes DNA to actually vaccinate the animal with. And the second one is a specialized adjuvant technology that delivers the DNA efficiently to the animal to allow the particular immune response to occur. We started to develop this vaccine about three and a half years ago through a uh, research investment that we were doing on low-path avian influenza, which we then moved into high-path avian influenza for the license with the USDA. That's Dr. Tim Miller of Benchmark Biolabs of Lincoln. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network.
And an Oregon Democrat representative, Michael Blumenauer, released an alternative farm bill during a press conference. The news conference was held with Michael Pollan, an author of books criticizing the current U.S. food system. The Drum report says Blumenauer has long been advocating for fruits and vegetables as well as organic and local foods in previous farm bill debates. His version of the bill covers all titles in the 2014 farm bill and adds titles focused on food waste and animal welfare. His bill eliminates the two main crop subsidy programs, which are the Agricultural Risk Coverage Program and the Price Loss Coverage Program. It also eliminates conservation spending on confined animal feeding operations, opting instead to give more money to organic and local production, as well as research that benefits smaller farms. Blumenauer was joined at the news conference by several Democratic representatives who have endorsed his bill. Connecticut's Rosa DeLauro says crop insurance and subsidy programs could be cut to increase nutrition spending. Blumenauer adds that if people receiving SNAP benefits are going to be drug tested, then tests should be also done for the overuse of antibiotics in animals. And finally, risk management and beef production lead the workshop topics for the 2017-2018 Farmers and Ranchers College. Now in its 17th year, the program provides educational workshops for producers in South Central Nebraska through a collaborative effort of business industry and higher education leaders, said Brandy Vandewall, Extension Educator in Fillmore County. For a program schedule and how to get registered, visit RuralRadio.com. That's a quick check of your midday ag news. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Recent overseas work bodes well for U.S. producers. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Tom Slate is president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. He and I sat down to talk about some recent news coming out of China and the benefits to American agriculture. I think as a result of the president's visit, myself uh, removed uh, the value-added tax being charged to U.S. exports of DDGs into China. That's uh, a step in a direct direction. It certainly increases our competitiveness in China, but I don't think you're going to see a big flood of, of imports right away. But it helps the formula of selling DDGs in China, which used to be our number one market. So hopefully we'll get to see an increase and, and try to get it up back towards that number one spot? We'd like to, but I think you know one of the things that we have saw is with China moving away from importing U.S. DDGs, other countries came in to fill the void. Mexico, Korea, Japan, uh, North Africa, Egypt, you know, a lot of countries. So there's good growth there. I obviously want to sustain that. Obviously, we want to get back into selling DDGs on a regular basis to China. Removing that VAT tax helps us immensely. There's a lot of nervousness continuing around NAFTA, and I saw that Mike Conaway and Colin Peterson really saying that we need to get NAFTA 2.0 down. We need to be out there to support agriculture. Let's not back out. Let's move forward. Yeah, we met with them uh, right before we came here. Uh, a, a panel of U.S. agriculture was right before them, right before them and the House Ag Committee. And yes, there is very, very real and palpable uh, dedication to the value of NAFTA for U.S. agriculture, the importance of NAFTA for U.S. agriculture. Yes, there's some other issues we've got to work out in terms of the produce, uh, you know, seasonality of produce issues. But again, uh, both uh, the chairman and the ranking member, strong supporters of NAFTA, and that was very encouraging to me. As you look at what the downfall could be, because that's what everybody keeps talking about, the what-ifs, so detrimental, not only for the United States, but to our trading partners. Well, absolutely. Well, we just had a conference with buyers in Mexico just a day ago. 
and we've been working, council's been working there for 35 years, building these intertwined, close working business relationship between U.S. suppliers and Mexican buyers. Uh, and coming out of this conference, is one of the things that really upset me is that the U.S. is no longer seen as a reliable supplier of coarse grains. We've been working 35 years to build that relationship, and now, now we're seen as not a reliable supplier. That's upsetting. So what do we do to try to get that back? I think we need to get NAFTA, stay dedicated to the negotiation process, get it uh, agreed to, get it passed, um, and without too much more drama, and we can continue to be, we're still very competitive as a supplier. The economics will, will win out, but we've got to get the drama away from the, from the business equation. Getting NAFTA done and negotiated and out of the way will really help. And hopefully they're moving towards that, uh, but we've still got a lot of strong negotiating sessions to go through. And farmers really need to be paying attention to how these negotiations play out, particularly the ones that are going to start at the, at the tail end of the next week. And the fact that they added extra days to this says how important it is. I think we saw that as an encouraging sign, that they're taking extra time to work through these proposals. They're taking extra time to negotiate. They're going to go into 2018. When we get into 2018, the, the, the climate's going to change, both in Mexico and the United States, because politics will start to become a much larger part of it, particularly in Mexico. And so we, we like to see continued, prompt, a reasonable uh, friendly negotiations, hopefully, uh, that keeps agricultural interests uh, in mind. My conversation with Tom Slight. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports today with Brandon Bentz. Good afternoon, Dirk. State high school football championships are currently underway in Lincoln with about five minutes remaining in the D1 state championship game. East Butler leads South Loop 36-6. And the Class B title game is set for this evening. The 11-1 York Dukes will square off against the 10-2 Omaha Scut Catholic Skyhawks at 7-15 from Memorial Stadium. The Dukes will be making only their second appearance in the state title game in their history while Scut is making its sixth trip to the capital city. York head coach Glenn Snodgrass explains what sticks out most about the Skyhawks. Speed and physicality and defense. I mean, they've, they've, don't get me wrong, they've got a very good offense, but their defense is absolutely what sticks out. They're not going to be the biggest team that we've seen. You're not going to see those 280-pound bruisers on the, on the line, um, but you are going to see some 200-pound linebackers that can run fast and uh, arrive in a bad attitude, you know. So they, they definitely are aggressive and they definitely like to hit. York's only other appearance in the state championship game was in 2013 when they lost to Scott Catholic. And the Denver Broncos head coach Vance Joseph informed offensive coordinator Mike McCoy this morning he has been relieved of his duties. Bill Musgrave is the new Bronco offensive coordinator. Denver's offense has struggled this season as the Broncos have lost six in a row for the first time since 1990. And there is no change among the top nine in the latest AP college football poll. That means Alabama stays number one, followed by Miami, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Wisconsin. The Crimson Tide picked up 58 of 61 first-place votes, while the Hurricanes claimed the other three. Auburn is sixth ahead of Georgia, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and TCU. The Husker men's basketball team shot 53% from the floor yesterday as they beat North Dakota 92-70. to Brighton down the Husker women, winning 63-49 as they won in Lincoln for just the first time since 1993. 
Martin Truex Jr. left nothing to chance as he wrapped up his first NASCAR Cup championship. Truex won Sunday's season finale at the Homestead Miami Speedway, holding off Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and Brad Keselowski for the championship. All but Truex were former champions, and Truex was the favorite before capturing his season-high eighth victory of the year. And say goodbye to the Georgia Dome. Nearly 5,000 pounds of explosives were used this morning to bring down the old downtown Atlanta Stadium. Onlookers gathered at skyscraper windows at a revolving hotel top restaurant, in parking lots, and on nearby streets to watch the controlled destruction of the landmark stadium. The Georgia Dome opened in 1992 and has already been replaced by the $1.6 billion Mercedes-Benz Stadium just next door. That's a check of sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. Partly cloudy skies tonight, lows 29 to 35 degrees. I'm Dave Schroeder. The Nebraska Public Service Commission has approved an alternative Keystone XL route through the state, removing the final regulatory hurdle to the $8 billion oil pipeline project. The vote was 3-2 to two with Commission Chair Tim Schramm and Commissioners Frank Landis and Rod Johnson voting yes and Commissioners Mary Ritter and Crystal Rhodes voting no. Rhodes shared several reasons for her no vote. The route violates the due process of landowners. There are at least 40 landowners along the approved route who may not even know that their land is in this pipeline's path. Since they may not know that they are in the path of the pipeline, they may not have participated in this proceeding and may not have had an opportunity to make a case before the commission. Although the long-delayed project was approved today, the decision could still be challenged in court. The commission was forbidden by law from considering a recent oil spill on the existing Keystone Pipeline in this decision. The alternative route would run farther north than the originally proposed route. Meanwhile, landowners in the path of the pipeline vowed to continue to fight after the Nebraska Public Service Commission partially approved the pipeline route along with Bold Nebraska. Authorities say two staffers have been injured in separate incidents involving inmates at the state prison in the southeast Nebraska city of Tecumseh. A Nebraska Correctional Services Department news release said one staffer was removing an item from a port in a cell door when an inmate used a homemade weapon to cut one of the staffer's hands. The wound required stitches. The department says another staffer received a minor nose cut when responding to an incident Friday in which five incidents started small fires in their cells. The names of the staffers and prisoners have not been released. Tyson Foods says it plans for a chicken plant in Kansas remain on hold while it moves forward with its Tennessee project. The Springdale, Arkansas-based company announced today it would build a $300 million chicken production complex in Humboldt, Tennessee that is expected to create more than 1,500 jobs when it begins operations in 2019. Tyson spokesman Worth Sparkman said that the company still has an interest in Kansas and will continue to consider potential sites in Kansas for expansion of its poultry business. Tyson had previously announced a $320 million chicken plant outside Tonganoxie in northeast Kansas in September, but local officials withdrew their support amid public opposition. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcasts and on-demand audio on your schedule. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
Jason Jorgensen with you on the Rural Radio Network. State high school football finals are going on in Lincoln. Earlier this morning, we have the D1 state title game between South Loop and East Butler. Coming up this afternoon, it's the D2 state title matchup as Blue Hill takes on BDS. We're joined by Bob Jensen of the Huskerland Prep Report. Bob, thanks a lot for the time. Exciting time of the year. How do you see this D2 final this afternoon? Uh, Blue Hill's really good. And Blue Hill won its Super Bowl, frankly, in the quarterfinals, beating Twin Loop, which was its boogeyman last year uh, up in Sargent, where Blue Hill got beat by two points, turned it around on on uh, Twin Loop this this year and won it uh, by two. They've, that's a big physical team, uh, no nonsense. They're just going to come right at you, try and beat you up. The problem is, BDS plays the same way. I saw BDS play against Sacred Heart the other night. They are hitting on all cylinders. Uh, I, I just don't see BDS losing this game. It's not a matter of whether or not Blue Hill could win it. Blue Hill is undefeated and has beaten some good teams. It's just that BDS is the proven championship program. Blue Hill has also won a championship. And I just think that uh, BDS is, is going to win the ball game. Today we're joined by Bob Jensen of the Huskerland Prep Report getting his thoughts about the state final games coming up this week in Lincoln. Bob, how about this Class B final? I'll have to admit, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for York in this one. Dealt with Glenn Snodgrass for a lot of years when he was at Overton. And, boy, he and the Dukes, they, they finally bust through here and they get a chance against Omaha Scott. Well, you know, here we were. You know, everything changed. And I've said this before. Everything in Class B changed the night that Elkhorn South got beat back in the regular season finale against Gretna because that opened the door to all these other possibilities. There was no other possibility uh, before Elkhorn South got beat. They were going to win three in a row, and they were good enough to do it. Uh, But Gretna beat them that night. Uh, They they got back on their horse and won a couple games. And then they got beat the other night the way they've been beating people for the better part of three years, Jason. They They got beaten the line by York. And it was York as the game wore on that uh, became the stronger team. And frankly, they wore Elkhorn South out. And I, you know, you, you can tell me that Elkhorn South is going to lose. I'm not going to flinch real hard because everybody can be beaten. But the way they were beaten, if you want, if you want an endorsement of why York could win this game, that's it. I think it's a, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. And I think York wins. Bob, let's look at the matchups tomorrow. How about in C1? How do you see this matchup between Norfolk Catholic and Boone Central Newman Grove? Uh, not a lot of secrets here. Well, you know, this is a very appealing game. It's got a lot of allure to it. it it's certainly a regal game. I don't want to make it into the biggest game of all time, but you're talking about Norfolk Catholic uh, You know, with this ninth championship. Boone's won a couple, been in four, four uh, title games. These are two of the real serious football towns in our state, and uh, it, it is. They've got a long history together. Uh, they were in a state championship game just a couple of years ago that Norfolk Catholic won. Nor- Norfolk Catholic's got the hammer, though. They've got a guy by the name of Dylan Couts, and he's, he's the state champion sprinter. People know that name. He operates behind this big offensive line that uh, has gotten better and better, and the Norfolk Catholic defense has been lights out, especially in the playoffs. The thing is, though, Boone has got a puncher's chance uh, for two reasons uh, that immediately come to mind. One of them is it's Boone. <laughs> Boone uh, plays winning football. I mean, a championship would not be a new experience up there. And the other thing is they got their own guy. Dylan Gentrop is one of the most uh, you know wonderfully talented dual-threat quarterbacks at any level. The kid is just a playmaker. And uh, I don't know. He may very well make enough plays for uh, Boone to avenge that regular season loss against Norfolk Catholic, and I would probably take Norfolk Catholic. How about the C2 final? What can you tell us about Centennial and UTAN? You know, Centennial is 12-0, right? 12-0. 
And uh, if you were looking for style points, you'd want to look somewhere else. Because I don't think when you watch Centennial play, you're not swept away by its overwhelming athletic ability or its speed or its defense or any of that, any, any one thing. But the one thing that that team has, it has a lot of heart. And it's very resilient. It has found a way to overcome some stuff. It's found a way to uh, win tight games against good teams, including in the regular season against UTAN. And uh, that's that's a good reason to think that Centennial could win the state championship. The thing is that UTAN was our preseason number one team, I, I thought, because here's a strong physical team with uh, the best player in C2, Colton Feast, at the C2 level. Trouble is they went 0-3 to start. And one of those losses was the Centennial. But since that time, they have, as they say, stomped on the gas, and they are smoking hot coming into the final. And uh, as much as I uh, like what's gone on at Centennial, I would take UTAN to win that football game. Final title game, Class A. A lot of folks out this way are fired up to see uh, Carney there. They got there with that dramatic victory last week. They take on Omaha North. Bob, uh, can the Bearcats get this done? Omaha North's got a lot of talented athletes. They've got a great coaching staff. They've won state championships. They've been in five of the last six title games by the time this one rolls around. And their trump card is speed. And that's the one way that they've beaten people. If you don't believe me, ask anybody who pulls for Grand Island Senior High. They saw it up close and personal. That's where Carney's defense, which has played so well, has got a chance to nullify North speed to some degree. You're not going to stop you know, you're not going to stop North from scoring, but you can you can make them work awfully hard to do it. And uh, I don't know, players like Isaiah Stahlberg immediately come to mind. You know, with him in the in the defensive backfield, that's going to make a difference. And I, I don't know, I'm I'm taking Carney, uh, which is you know, this is kind of the same thing as 2006. Carney didn't have a chance to beat Westside that year either. That was Bob Jensen of Huskerland Prep Report, our special guest. Glad to get a hold of him to get his thoughts about the state finals taking place this week in Lincoln. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jason Jorgensen. They say it was a tale of two cities today, hogs versus cattle. We tell or get more from uh, Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe. Yes, it was a, a tale of two cities. Uh, the cattle under pressure right from the get-go, uh, uh, a lot, I think, had to do, well, a couple of things. The uh, cattle on feed report was a little negative on uh, Friday. That would be their third one in a row now. And uh, the fact that uh, uh, the cash uh, kind of suffered last week, so a couple of those things. Then you throw in the uh, cutouts at noon down again, uh, and uh, cutouts have been slipping now, and that, along with uh, funds and uh, just liquidation uh, uh, put a lot of pressure on the cattle and the feeder cattle particularly in the feeder cattle uh, percentage wise they lost a little more ground and uh, uh, so triple digit losses right straight across the board and uh, yeah, so a tough way to start the week hogs on the other hand we had triple digit gains uh, in the first four contracts uh, cash uh, seemed about steady uh, it was mixed but uh, enough to hold things together and the cutouts higher at noon. So that uh, helped uh, some short covering real quick. And then uh, I think uh, we ended up with some buying uh, uh, showing up in the market. So a uh, positive day for the hogs and uh, not such a good uh, start for cattle this week. 
Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter for the day today, estimated at 120,000, 3,000 more than a week ago. Hog slaughter, 465,000, 1,000 more than last Monday. Dewey Nelson reporting. The Nebraska Department of Agriculture has signed letters of intent with nine soybean processing companies in Bulgaria to promote the use of Nebraska-grown soybeans and soybean products in their facilities. Obviously a major deal, and to talk about that is NDA Interim Director Matt Haybrock joins me on the phone as we talk about this. So Matt, as we get started, let's talk about what does a letter of intent mean with these soybean processors? The letter of intent is kind of a symbol of a relationship between the state of Nebraska um, and these companies in Bulgaria to forge that relationship to to start that process of of building a relationship and a strong ongoing partnership between um, between us and these companies. So to to us, it means that these companies are signaling and indicating their intent to buy um, soybeans from our producers here in Nebraska. This kind of deal doesn't just happen. You had some folks from Bulgaria and. Uh, Bulgaria, rather, come over to Nebraska to learn more about the cycle of soybeans in earlier in 2017. So talk about that event. I know you were you assist with helping that event, and it was actually a grant that got them here to look at those Nebraska soybeans. Yeah, we had a great um, program put together. It's actually thanks to some USDA funding in their Emerging Markets program um, that kind of set the stage for all this. So we were able to utilize those dollars, um, specifically looking at the Bulgarian market, and we uh, um, were able to bring two different groups over, both in April and June of 2017, to kind of understand the whole um, life cycle of the soybean in the state. So they got to tour some farms, um, visit with some um, merchandisers, and, and so on and so forth, and just kind of understand the full potential of what Nebraska could provide them. And that really helped them to build the confidence that they needed of knowing that Nebraska is going to be um, the, the type of supplier uh, that they're looking for within their processing facilities there in Bulgaria. What do they like about Nebraska soybeans? You know, I think that uh, kind of the same thing everybody looks for um, internationally is Nebraska. We are known. We've got really high-quality, consistent products um, that we raise here. So they, you know, recognize our ability to year in and year out put together a really high-quality soybean product that they're going to be looking for to meet their demands within their processors. And, Matt, help us understand how big of a deal this is. The potential certainly is pretty great. Um, when we look at these nine companies, they've got a total for about 2.7 million metric tons per year of total production, and they're currently utilizing about 2 million metric tons. So, you know, there's kind of an unrealized 700,000 uh, metric tons that could be utilized. So um, the the realities of the agreements will, you know, reign true as those purchases come forward in the months to come. Uh, we are looking forward to, hope to the uh, first shipment most likely going over in the fall of 2018. And Matt, uh, in a political environment where trade is kind of a buzzword right now, here in Nebraska locally, everyone still, for the most part, understands the importance of trade. And that's essentially what this is as well, opening up some trade opportunities to get some Nebraska soybeans uh, uh, elsewhere. We're very fortunate in Nebraska that, uh, you know, everybody kind of understands the importance of trade when we consider that, you know, 95% of the world's customers lie outside of our borders. We've got to go out there and get them. Um, Governor Ricketts, the Department of Agriculture, and, and all the commodity groups in Nebraska certainly understand how important it is that we go out and we ask um, our friends in the international marketplace for their business um, and show them just, you know, how the, the, the high quality and the value of the products that we can deliver them. So 
We're, we're thrilled for this agreement from Bulgaria, and not only what it means for Bulgaria, uh, but kind of the opportunity to to get further into the broader uh, European Union marketplace as well. Certainly some fascinating and important things happening here in Nebraska with those soybeans. Interim Director of the Nebraska Department of Agriculture, Matt Haybrock, on the phone. Nebraska's Governor Pete Ricketts also commented, saying this is a great opportunity, which is growing demand for Nebraska soybeans. You can read more about this at RuralRadio.com. I'm Bryce Duskit on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. How did it turn out today? Pretty good day, you know, given that we started the morning pretty red on the soybeans and uh, meal had pulled back and wheat obviously kind of lagging still, but the you know the, the rallying to the close here was, was what we needed. I think that uh, maybe gives the market some confidence here as we go into the end of the week. Still don't think you get bullish on this kind of move, though. If you, if you did buy on that break in the low 50s on the march, you know, 365 is kind of my target in the short term. Um, you know, I think... The short covering will be, be quick here, and then it'll be about farmers selling into the end of the delivery contract. So, I think the, the price action now is really nice, but uh, we need to see you know three fifty before I get really interested. All right, and the trade volume in corn looked rather impressive, or not? It did. I, it was, I mean, all, all of it looks pretty good here, and you know, it's, it doesn't take long for us to get almost a dime off the lows, which is kind of the case in corn here. As we're pushing on three forty-five, we were just at three thirty-six last Tuesday morning. So it's uh, you know it, it, the. You'll get a thirty cent move. That would be a ten percent price move at this at this juncture. So, you know, don't get don't get in love with the upside. Uh, the market will cover itself pretty quickly here, and I think the real market will expose itself. But I wasn't in uh, on Friday. Got to go through quite a bit of news, uh, and I just think that 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 kind of Trump news out of China and, and the uh, the additional buying that we could see from ethanol. That those are some fuel uh, fumes on the demand side that we haven't seen in a while. So while supply has been the reason to sell, I think these buyers could be in, uh, in the longer haul on the demand side. And with the holiday-shortened week, there are fewer players in the market. Does that increase volatility? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I will say this is not a week that's usually very quiet. You know, look back in the last decade, we've had three or four different events happen where, you know, maybe not the grains markets have moved, but we've seen, you know, back in the early 2010s, the, the you know, the, or the late 2000s, the crash happened right around this time of the year. Stock market really got out of hand. Uh, and then you have uh, the Dubai crisis in the early 2010s, OPEC did the whole, uh, what do you call it, they kind of rebalanced their portfolio and, and decided to not cut production, and that sent the market really lower. So you got to be open here to, uh, to some volatility this week just because it's, quote-unquote, thinner. It's only thinner for us. This is a normal week for the globe. And what do you expect here for the rest of the week? Can we turn around uh, these soybean and wheat trade, and especially soybeans, tomorrow? I think you still have to play a range bound. 360, 365 on the upside in the March. Look at January soybeans as a $10 sale in the short term. We start getting weather problems. That changes the equation. But right now, there's not a whole lot of that. Thanks. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst at Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com or call John Payne direct at 866-825-8561. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.